Hello, hello, hello. Uh, it's me again. And you catch me in the car now. I'm going down to uh, get some ingredients. I've been, as I uh, have detailed a couple times, I've been experimenting with the um, with the different foods and everything. And I'd always wanted to. I'd actually thought about years ago attending culinary school and uh, just doing it for the fun of it, you know, for the sake of basically becoming a better cook and everything like that and I didn't have the uh, um, we'll put it this way I just didn't have the time and opportunity to be able to do it and, and the funny thing is it's just like now that I'm starting to realize I have the fucking time man I could just teach myself how to do all this shit and everything so anyways that's actually what I've been doing lately is um last night I made this um, chicken tikka masala I, I discussed it a little bit last night and uh you know last night's uh, yesterday's podcast and uh or discussion and it came it came out really really good and i actually i had it for leftovers today and it was even better so anyways i'm really enthused you know by it it's just like here i am just experimenting with things and the, the recipe by itself you know just it's i think this is the thing when when it comes down to cooking you got to cook for your own taste you know, I, I hadn't really... Shit, a lot of traffic. More time to talk to you. So, I hadn't really uh, taken into consideration that, um, you know, following a recipe is one thing. You know, but following a recipe and making it your own is is kind of like, you know, for me as a programmer. You know, I learned, you know, after years of programming and everything that, you know, there's the textbook methods of doing things and everything. And then, you know, um, when it comes down to being able to put it into place, you know, inside of a corporation and everything, the thoughts and ideas and the concepts, whether or not you learn it in a class or you see it in a textbook, um, you know, a book on a programming or um, you're reading it on an article on a blog or something like that, you know, there's, I've, I've always had a tendency to take things and um, just basically say, okay, you know, um, it's wonderful getting it in place, you know, and seeing it work, you know, after you've gone through and made, you know, basically made the transcription and, and pulled something in and, you know, just actually see it function like it does in an example video or something like that. But it's entirely another um, actually being able to tweak it from there, try different things out, you know, see how it works and just play with it a little bit and everything. That's what she said, right? But, um, you know, so that's actually what I'm, what I'm realizing. And it's just like cooking isn't that much different. You know, it's, I mean, I have particular taste buds. Um, my mom and dad certainly have particular taste buds. And I noticed that my mom, you know, despite the fact that she she's absolutely um, persistent that she doesn't have taste buds, she had has definitely responded, you know, to different various tastes and everything. You know, so I'm noticing that she tends to like things that, uh, that have a little bit of uh, spice to it. You know, um, but it can't be so spicy that it, uh, you know, that it makes you cry or anything like that. So that's actually what I'm, what I'm doing is I'm including, you know, like the recipe from last night had had a little bit of cayenne pepper in it. You know, the um, one from tonight, it, it's uh, I've got wasabi on my, uh, on my grocery list, and I'm going to be mixing the swat wasabi and making something called a Diablo pork. And it's just basically it's a it's a pork that's uh, mixed with, um, oh, it's got uh, some Dijon mustard and. Um, some wasabi that's going to give it a little kick, a little bit heavy cream to, you know, lessen, diminish that kick and everything. And it sounds really, you know, awesome. I and mean, basically, there's about 10 ingredients, and I'm not listing them all. 
But um, that's, you know, for me, it's just like, you know, you see a recipe, and like last night's recipe, you know, um, about uh, the, the, the solution was emulsifying. And by the time it started doing that, you know, I started saying, okay, you know, this thing's tasting a little bit on the salty side and everything. I could serve it like this, you know, but uh, it's it's not appealing to my taste buds. It's it's just too too overpowering from a salty perspective and everything. You know, so you got one of two ways that you can diminish this. You can do it with uh, some cream or butter, you know, but the problem is you still taste the salt and everything. If that's all you're tasting and everything, all the butter is, uh, all the cream and butter is going to do is basically wash it out. You know, so I thought, okay, you know, salt and sugar sugars tend to balance each other out. You know, if something tastes too salty, you add a little sugar to it. If something tastes too sugary, you add a little salt to it. And that's, uh, that's typically, you know, at least in, in my um, personal experience, you know, something that, uh, that's used to balance, uh, balance those two ingredients out and everything. So that's actually what I ended up doing last night, and I made the recipe my own. It's just like, okay, you know, off off the gates, I remember trying um, to make my Thai food for the first time, and oh my God, was it just too salty, you know, and uh, time and time and time again, here I am, literally three times, and, you know, making this meal and everything for my ex-wife, and it was just like three times, and finally on the fourth try, I ended up realizing it called for sugar, not salt. Well, I do wonder, you know, sometimes, you know, um... Did my mind basically replace the ingredient? Had I been following that recipe to the T, and had my mind learned a way to basically um, <laughs> provide me the illusion, you know, of what I needed to see in order to basically make that recipe my own? I suspect that there's some possibility, you know, so there's some truth to that and everything. You know, but in any case, I'm learning a little bit of a different tactic with this. It's just like, okay, you know, create a recipe and everything. And or leverage a recipe, and at that point, you know, tailor it to my, uh, to my, you know, to suit my needs. Now I'd always done this, you know, before, but nothing quite as complex as a tikka masala or, you know, some of these other things. My one I made for my dad about uh, two weeks ago involved uh, chicken and ham and all this other stuff, and it was more like a hash. It just it um, wasn't um, wasn't great, you know. It was okay. Um, you know, it's not something I would make again or anything like that, and, you know, I don't know how I would make that recipe my own, because it's just something, you know, my dad really badly wanted. He had trimmed it from the newspaper and everything, and, you know, I omitted an ingredient. I, I have a tendency to omit onions, you know, from any of the things that, uh, that I make, simply because onions don't get along with me, and uh, they never really have. Um, with the exception of salsa, and even then, it's in small doses and everything. If I if I actually do make it with salt or uh, have it in salsa. So, in any case, um, on a completely different subject, uh, I was watching Star Trek Voyager. Watch the ending of, um, I'm going to go through and watch all these and watch it from an educational scientific perspective um, at the same time I'm watching it from entertainment. And as I started watching, um, I finished watching uh, something called Caretaker. And I discussed last night how um, the whole premise of Voyager is based on a time bubble that actually happened as a direct result, you know, quite likely of Borg experimentation with human DNA um, that... Uh, in a sense, they, they may have actually been attempting to, um, I didn't get this far, assimilate humans through, through their DNA and everything. So that, or destroy humans, one or the other, um, I think they're, uh, you know, whatever it is they're trying to do, they're trying to achieve one or the other. 
So, in any case, um, makes me think uh, of the quantum uh, experiment of Schrodinger's cat. Is the cat dead or alive? So, <laughs> kind of on that that thought came through my head right at that moment. So, anyways, um, I suspect it has something to do with the uh, the dualistic uh, nature of the thought experiment when reality isn't uh, dualistically based. It's uh, more infinitely based. So, anyways, um, I'm almost here to Fred Myers, but, uh, I'm coming up against a little traffic here. Um, so, Caretaker is the first, uh, first two episodes, so it's, a uh, back-to-back an hour and 40 minutes, and it, um, it consists of, uh, there's this being that they've determined has been, been alive for about a hundred thousand years, and, uh, they come to the determination that this being is trying to pass on um, its knowledge and its information um, to uh, to the species that are overseas. I think it's the Kazon. Um, no, I don't think it's a Kazon. It's the other species that was mentioned in it. And uh, it's afraid that uh, as the caretaker of the species and everything, that the species is now potentially threatened and everything by basically everything else in existence and everything. So the caretaker, they blame for being responsible for pushing it across uh, across reality and everything, across the Milky Way galaxy, and literally being 27 years at top warp speed away from um, from home, you know, from Earth, and um, that they believe they come to the conclusion that the caretakers is single-handedly responsible for it, but because of their assistance with the caretaker in the end, they also uh, they also kind of put themselves in a bind and make it so where they're stuck in the Delta Quadrant of the Milky Way Galaxy. So, um, just in case you didn't know this, um, the the Milky Way Galaxy is um, laid out into four primary quadrants. So it's the Alpha, Beta, Gamma, and the Delta. Um, The Delta is home of some of the... You know, probably the the roughest and toughest denizens of the uh, galaxy. Um, in particular, the Borg um, are tend to inhabit and dwell within this area. And the Borg are a organic, um, organic and organic. Uh, they're an assimilative, uh, computerized, um, you know, type of uh, race and species and everything. So, anyways, um, I'm here. I want to get more into. Um, some of the other stuff I was going to talk about concerning Parallax, the second episode. So when I uh, recon- reconvene on this, I'll uh, continue on that uh, trajectory and everything. So Parallax, that's what I'm going to get into right after I pause here. Back again. $19 worth of ingredients. But here's the cool thing about cooking. You spend $19 for two meals... And you've still got leftover ingredients that diminish the cost of every subsequent meal. Um, it's uh, basically so I got like a virgin or just I had vir- extra virgin olive oil. Now I don't know what the difference is between that versus olive oil, but they do sell two different things. So I ended up uh, purchasing the uh, the regular olive oil. Oh shit! Because I'm not paying attention to where I'm driving that much and drive over a little curb. <sighs> that wasn't good. 
park I'm in the parking lot of uh, Fred Myers and they have these tiny little curbs for the islands and everything and it's, my windshield wipers weren't kicking in quite a hundred percent yet so it's a rainy day here in Vancouver <laughs> but uh, anyways as I was saying that's one of the cool things about uh, about cooking is uh you also have all these leftover ingredients. So I got the olive oil. I got this ginger root, which I'm going to be using two tablespoons of. And this thing's, you know, at least enough for, uh, it looks like, hopefully it's enough. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that's more than two tablespoons right there. 39 cents, you know. Uh, what else? Grape Poupon. Got some Dijon mustard and everything. And some chives. I'll use half the chives today. The Dijon mustard I'll have left over. You know, so it's a cool thing. It's just like you use it and you're only using two tablespoons of ingredients at a time, you know, so grand total the meal will run, you know, buck, a buck fifty, you know, per person and everything. Um, and if you would have gone out, you know, it would have cost uh, twelve dollars for a meal like what I'm preparing tonight. So, anyways, um, Parallax. That's actually what I was uh, going to discuss and everything. Parallax is an episode of uh, Star Trek that, uh, you know, so after The Caretaker, they're going through the Delta Quadrant, and um Torres, she's a uh, Machian, and a uh, very hot-headed, um, you know, temperamental woman and everything that, uh, or she's got a half a half Machian, half, um, I think it's half a Vulcan, or not Vulcan, um, Klingon, so she's got that whole forehead, the um, alien forehead thing working for her and everything. <laughs> And in any case, um, they're going through the Delta Quadrant, and uh, they end up coming across this uh, quantum singularity anomaly, is what they refer to it as. Now, the um, what they end up encountering and discovering is they're, they at first see a ship that's actually locked into orbit, or into, they believe, in, in the event horizon of this uh, quantum singularity. And uh, they end up hailing the thing. And hailing is just basically a method of communication to, you know, to more or less open up channels or various different channels of communication. So radio, um, I suspect microwave, low-band microwave, um, subspace channels and everything. You know, all the known channels and uh, just basically to try to communicate with this unknown vessel. Well, the interesting thing is, I mean, Neelix is trying to actually eye eyeball it on the screen. And for some reason, they can't actually get the thing um, they can't actually see it well enough and everything, and for some reason, you know, nobody on the crew actually recognizes it. You know, this is actually something I find a little bit curious. You know, but uh, then all of a sudden, later on in the episode, they realize that they were the ones that were stuck in the orbit, and they, they were um, in basically the event horizon of this quantum singularity. And uh, quantum singularity basically is a point in space and time, much like a black hole, where, um, in a sense, that time itself becomes dilated, um, choppy to some degree. Um, Einstein's whole frame-dragging concepts and everything apply with this. And uh, it also, it's uh, more or less, it's a, it's a place where matter itself uh, tends to deform space, space itself. So matter becomes so dense, and usually from what Neelix is uh, trying to describe on it, um, the matter of a star actually causes an implosion, and that in it for itself forms a rupture in space and time. 
So, and uh, that rupture itself actually dilates time as well. So, later on in the episode and everything, they actually uh, realize that uh, they end up getting hailed by themselves. And uh, as they ended up uh, coming into and seeing this anomaly, so they themselves are a part of this anomaly. They don't realize it as they, when they first arrived, that what they were observing was actually themselves um, and kind of like an echo in space and time and everything. So, um, Balana, uh, she ends up actually pointing this out. It's just like, it's almost as if, you know, you look at the, the surface of uh, the, uh, you know, you're under, underneath water, and there's an effect that when you actually look at the surface of that, wa- that water, you see a reflection of yourself. And she explains it in the same way, that in, within, when you're within the event horizon, you see the echo of yourself um, in space and time, and it's a three-dimensional projection rather than a two-dimensional projection. It's still, I mean, you know, the the, vi- the vision of you, you know, appearing, if you're actually underwater, looking up um, towards the surface of the water, you know, and sometimes when you do see your own uh, reflection and everything, um, which doesn't happen all the time. It's, it's a kind of an oddity, you know, that uh, in my opinion, usually it's the opposite way around. You know, when you're on top of water and you're actually looking into it, you know, at that point, you see the reflection and everything. That's actually kind of a good point. I don't think I've ever seen the uh, the reflection. Huh, interesting. Two different perspective, uh, perspectives on space and time. They, uh, that's a good question for you. Have you ever seen the echo, um, a, a reflection of yourself looking up at water, if you're underneath water? I myself have not. It's always looking down into water. You know, you see the reflection of yourself. It's interesting that they actually make that statement and everything. In any case, um, the argument holds valid to some degree. It's, it's when you look at water, you actually see that reflection of yourself in the water. And um, that just has me thinking. That's kind of fascinating, as Spock would say. So, anyways, they end up... Um, going through and uh, they end up realizing, hey, they've got to cause, cause a rupture in space and time in order to exit the event uh, horizon that they are stuck within. So they feel that they're stuck and at this point they leverage this knowledge of them you know, being an echo in space and time and um, that uh, they're actually seeing themselves in the event horizon. At that point they end up uh, you know, basically uh, getting out of this rift and everything. Well, one perspective I have on reality is um, basically the whole Big Bang con- you know, construct. Um, at one single point in space and time, there was a rupture in space and time which caused basically um, every potential, every possibility, at least within our universe, to happen and everything. Now, that point in space and time is, um, well, for all, all intents and purposes, me. But um, this point can also be thought as being out there, a point of all this ideas and information and everything, and uh, it's in basically the origin um, of a timeline, of a single linear construct of time and everything. So if you're actually interacting with something and your construct and idea of time isn't necessarily um, fixed, and that's actually a, a 
a problem that uh, that's constantly happening within the Star Trek world and everything. Um, if your idea and concept of uh, time isn't fixed, then what you're going to be witnessing are events like this, where basically time itself does have a tendency to echo. It causes repeated patterns. Um, you might see echoes of yourself, uh, reflections of yourself in space and time on occasion, and that kind of stuff, all up until the point that you actually um, you actually secure and believe in a single um, method of uh, of timekeeping. You know, so chronology in itself kind of necessitates the uh, the need to maintain um, a chronological sequence and actually keep that in order. Well, they leverage something called the star date and everything, and star date's based on the beginning of the Big Bang. But if there's multiple Big Bangs, you know, um, the problem with their method of timekeeping, aka the star date, becomes which Big Bang are are they referring to when they're referring to the star star date? You know, um, there's multiple different star dates that actually have the same exact date in space and time. You know, particularly if the Big Bang, Big Crunch is a repeating cycle. You know, so this this is actually among the reasons that they experience so many spatial anomalies, you know, concerning space and time, you know, and the dilation of space and time. You know, they don't take into consideration that uh, there's multiple iterations. There's there's multiple versions of this same point in space and time out there, you know. And what they're doing is they're not just necessarily seeing an echo of themselves. Um, they're seeing, um, you know, the, the nature of reality reflected in time and hence um, about the concept of the Big Bang being very real. Now, to put the Big Bang into, into perspective and everything, um, planet Earth, you know, stems from a single point, uh, point in space and time, a singularity, if you will. Um, you know, so does the sun, so does the moon. Everything that actually has mass um, stems from, comes from a single point in space and time. And these are the fissures, uh, the points in space and time where basically a quantum singularity has been created and has ruptured in a three-dimensional space, thus causing the, the respective planets that, uh, that, that are actually, you know, part of it. So space and time itself is, you know, I mean, you got to keep, keep in mind that um, a quantum singularity isn't, isn't a fixed point in space and time. You know, it echoes. It, itself it echoes. You know, and that echo can actually be seen in the formation of different planets, um, in the formation of galaxies, and the formation of fucking everything, for the most part. You know, particularly things that are spherically based, you know, of three dimensions and that kind of stuff. So anyways, I shall continue this later.
Yeah, it wasn't, uh, that was weird. I don't know if you've heard any of the past conversation and everything in the dead air. I don't know if they're on this podcast or discussion, but, uh, yeah, for some reason the view meter just cut out and everything on that uh, recording. So, in any case, um, oh shit, I forgot the horseradish. So I'm back off to, uh, go to Fred Meyer to go pick some up. I cannot go without an ingredient and everything, so... It's not that I'm looking for an excuse to escape the house or anything like that. It's actually I don't mind being there. I'm just uh, but I also want to make sure I follow the directions tonight and make sure I get it uh, get it, you know, at least started in the direction of uh, how the ingredients are supposed to go. So, in any case, um, as I was saying, um, Earth, the Moon, the stars, um, all that funky horseshit and everything. Each one of them are basically points um, in space. Um, And these points in space are more or less protrusions from infinite different dimensions. And these protrusions, if you will, are basically um, three-dimensional, four-dimensional protrusions. So they are three-dimensional in the fact that they're actually at at fixed points in space. Um, But they're also um, at fixed positions in space and time. So if you were to go back to... Um, 1945 or 1989 or something like that. What you're going to find is, um, is Earth will be at a particular position relative to the Milky Way galaxy and everything at that particular point in space and time and everything. And that's actually, um, what the, what the star date is. It's a configuration of space from, uh, um, it, basically a point in space and time from the point of the Big Bang. And, um, more or less, it's not a um, it's not a, po- a fixed position though. So that's that's the difference between you know Star Tra- Star Trek and Star Dates, where they don't list. Um, uh, they really have a tendency not to list physical positions um, within their Star Date logs or anything like that. They have um, points in in time relative to them, and these points in time are referred to as Star Dates. So, with, with that in mind, um, basically everything in the galaxy, uh, in the Milky Way galaxy, which is a cluster of stars that are literally hundreds of thousands of stars, that in some cases are surrounded by hundreds of thousands of planets. Um, usually it's, I mean, I'm not saying every star has hundreds of thousands of planets. I don't know any that actually have that many planets. But uh, they have um, at least... You know, some have no planet, some have, in our, uh, in our universe, or in our galaxy, in our solar system at least, in the solar system's consistency of um, Earth, Mars, Venus, uh, Jupiter, Saturn, Pluto, Neptune, 
um, planets like that. Um, that's that's the consistency of our planet and uh, relative to the Milky Way galaxy and to uh, the solar system. We are, I am at least, in the solar system. So if you're rece receiving this and you're trying to figure out where the fuck I am, well, I'm in solar system. I'm third planet from 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 Sol, aka we we refer to it as the Sun, and uh, I'm on the um, western hemisphere of the continent of, uh, we refer to as North America. And, uh, that's actually, you know, contains a state called, uh, called Washington. I'm on the, on the furthest south, uh, southwestern corner of Washington in a city called, or not the furthest southwestern corner, it's more south and, uh, it's along the border of, uh, Washington and, um, and Oregon. So, with all that, um, and the Milky Way galaxy is uh, consists of a whole bunch of stars circling circling a massive black hole at the center of the Milky Way galaxy, and that's actually what causes the spinning nature, you know, of the galaxy. And basically, most galaxies, most galaxies consist of of um, of one, you know, primary black hole. And uh, at that point, um, things have a tendency to spin around it. You know, so space and time is really relative to the respective object. And in the Milky Way galaxy's uh, frame, um, for the most part, I am the center of the Milky Way galaxy. So, and, and this is the thing. Um, if you're to look at it from a physical perspective, um, I see myself differently than... Than the rest of the, you know, than what has what has been depicted in common, quote unquote, lore. You know, I, I consider myself an intelligent individual, um, you know, capable of, you know, basically anything, you know. But uh, also because I am a fixed position in space and time, moving through space and time, um, making choices based on my desires, my wants, my not wants, and et cetera, and that kind of stuff and everything. Um, I am also changing over time as well. And that change is kind of dictated by my, you know, by my choices. And, uh, well, of course, the external influences and everything around me and, you know, the desire for things to want to get along innately. Um, so, with that, um, there's, you know, I, you know, this is the warp, uh, the warp nature of reality. So, let's just say, you know, that uh, at one point in space and time, the, the Milky Way galaxy is the center of all space and time. Out extends from that um, a Gregorian calendar, and that Gregorian calendar um, creates uh, multiple different versions of Earth. You know, um, most of which is is directly um, is visible through digital mechanisms, um, but through analog mechanisms, you're not going to see the same thing. So if I go out and travel, um, I'm not going to see um, I'm not going to see the repeating pattern of Earth. What I will see is different planets that have actually been formed based on the seed of Earth um, and the Milky Way galaxy exploding from one single point in time, also known as a quantum singularity. So that single point in space and time extends out and actually, um, because a single point in space and time known as a quantum singularity is not a fixed point in space and time, um, it appears in multiple different places, and these multiple different places that it has a tendency to appear um, are what are what's known as planets, as stars, as all this other stuff and everything too. So that's the repeating pattern of nature. 
you know, and you see evidence of this repeating pattern in things like trees and, um, you know, the whole leaf uh, as, as far as a uh, fractal pattern. Um, you, a leaf actually repeats the pattern of the tree, and trees repeat the same pattern and everything, too, so where you see the same tree that grows from a seed. You know, and a seed could be thought of, to some degree, as being a mathematical pattern that actually stems from a formula that's actually contained within that seed. Well, the formula isn't necessarily always a mathematical formula. It could be something else. That, uh, you know, there's any number of different things that can actually cause the seed of the fractal um, mathematics to actually continue on its journey and everything. Um, and uh, what those possibilities are is just like it's kind of kind of limitless. You know, I mean, that's that's why we have so many galaxies that the Hubble telescope has has actually observed. You know, that's why we have so many different um, versions of Earth out there, of which we get to see a handful of them, you know, through this thing called TV and movies and that kind of stuff. You know, we get to disassociate ourselves from that reality, and, you know, most people get the capability to be able to dumb themselves down and sedate themselves into, uh, into you know, keeping a calm, relatively intellectually sedate life and everything without having to comprehend the vastness of the cosmos and all the possibilities that exist out there by basically disassociating themselves from it and calling it fiction. You know, but um, that doesn't mean it's not real. You know, it just basically means, for now, it's not real. You know, for now, from this particular perspective, you know, whoever's uh, choosing that keyword and everything, for me, you know, I call it both at the same time, fiction and also real. You know, and the reason I do that is just because of the fact that uh, I'm respecting those that uh, don't regard it as real. So, anyways, I shall continue this when I get back. Um, oh, shit. Hopefully I didn't record over the previous one. Okay, hello. Wow, I keep doing that. <laughs> You're going to get a lot of dead air. I should cut it out, right? Well, let's see if I do. Uh, you need some dead air, right? That's how long it takes me to go into and out of the grocery store. So I just got some asking you shall receive, right? Extra hot wasabi or extra hot um, horseradish. And I could have sworn I saw um, wasabi on one of the uh, recipes. So, just uh, even though I didn't write it down, I've still got some just in case. Fortunately, it's not too horribly expensive. Three bucks for a little thing of wasabi. But uh, now I've got the ingredients and everything for both of those. So, that little spice into our lives and everything. Diablo pork style. So, anyways. Uh, other than that, no, like I was going into, I'm suspecting that... Um, 
that a lot of species keep themselves entertained, you know, and when I'm talking about species, I'm not talking about just uh, humans, I'm talking about um, other species that have been around for a prolonged period of time, and uh, this can mean, like the Cylons, it can mean Terminators, it can mean um, Borg, you know, and I'm, I'm referring to these characters, these denizens, a lot, just because when it comes down to it, um, I, I think that as a human, you know, I enjoy the variety that computer systems bring to my world and everything, and um, with that, it's just like, I also know that uh, with these characters being out there, it also adds a little bit to the to the spice of stories that actually exist out there too. Um, now, for me myself, do I actually want to be subjected to the various um, potential hells that I've seen that uh, exacted on them that um, would make uh, something that? Uh, you know, human experimentation, everything that you've seen terrestrially, seem like um, baby care. You know, and uh, in comparison, fuck no. You know, I know what they're, what these kind of species are capable of, and everything. You know, and uh, there's, there's, you know, there's hells that exist well beyond the physical. You know, and uh, when it comes down to it, it's just, it's just a matter of knowing and just basically saying, yes, I know they exist out there. Yes, I know that in the past, um, I have undergone some of this stuff and everything, and that's actually part, in part, what's responsible for creating my reality and actually what's in part for, you know, making other certain things that I have enjoyed possible, such as hallucinogenics and such as, you know, speed and, um, or speed in the form of cocaine and that kind of stuff, but, um, it doesn't mean I want to continue doing that, and, uh, you know, for me, it's just like I'm at that point in space and time and everything where I'm just interested in enjoying my life and basically biding time, if you will, you know, by learning some new skills, you know, um, this is one of the first ones, is, is refining my color skills and everything, um, understanding time and space a little bit better, and, you know, going through and, uh, understanding the mind a little bit better, that's actually why I'm watching Sabrina the Witch back to back, and just basically putting this into perspective, and I asked my mom the question this morning, um, a question I'd really, you know, had intended, um, if any show can actually personify, um, capture, can depict your perspective and way that you look at the world and everything, um, and any character in those shows, uh, which character would that be? Well, I myself, I'm starting to, you know, I'm, I'm taking this whole role and concept of Q because for me it has become the most meaningful. Well, my mom, you know, she pulling no punches and everything said, Samantha from Bewitched. And I'm just like, wow. I mean, that actually explains a lot. I mean, the whole pagan concept of, uh, of you know, of Christianity and everything and where it comes from, I mean, I'm directly uh, in bed with it, you know, when it comes to, not literally, mind you, you know, but uh, I have grown up and lived with it literally right alongside me my entire life, which, which explains, um, explains the powerful impact of Christianity and paganism on my own life and the way that I perceive the world and everything. You know, my mom has an influence. She's been been a wonderful influence. She's been, you know, kind of like a scary influence as well at times, too. So, it's not a bad thing. It's not a good thing, but I really found that um, I didn't expect her to actually say that, you know. So, I'll ask my my dad the same question one of these nights and everything and see what he says. He's not quite the avid TV watcher that I am or anything like that, but... <laughs> you know, or, or that my mom is either, but uh, he might have an idea or a concept or might present something and everything. 
So with that said, um, I, I suspect that some of these species, um, particularly some of the more mind-based ones, and two species I suspect are more mind-based uh, than, um, than they are physically based, are the Borg and also the Daleks. Um, I suspect that they, that they exist primarily as um, you know, a form of mind, a multidimensional uh, type type being that actually has a capability to be able to span um, different uh, different realities and everything, and it does it just as easily as I as I uh, might play my video games and everything, you know. So, and uh, I have af I actually given the thought and idea and concept. Am I seeing a reflection of myself when I'm playing my games, you know, in a mirror, and uh, my ability to be able to pop into and out of um out of these realities I call digital realities, you know, is that that just basically a reflection of me? You know, am I seeing myself in the mirror? You know, I can't help but ask that question. You know, is that what the Borg are? Is basically a reflection of my own mind, you know, and the multidimensional capabilities I have, you know, to be able to protrude into, into other dimensions and everything through, um, you know, through the things that I refer to as, as uh, simulations and games. So I have given that concept, uh, that, that concept, an idea, a thought, you know. But uh, another thing I was, uh, you know, going on uh, before was uh, the discussion of, um, let's say you've got a three-dimensional vacuum, a box, uh, this non-existence. Um, there's absolutely nothing in it, and let's say there's, uh, let's say the dimensions of this thing from an external perspective are five by five, by five. So this thing is five feet tall by five feet, five foot wide by five foot deep, and within it exists absolutely nothing. Now um, I, I'm using this for purposes of illustration. You know, and let's say all of existence is actually housed in this box. Well, at uh, let, let's just diminish this a little bit and, and say. Um, let uh, that the Earth and the the solar system, um, called Sol, actually exists within this box. Now, with this box inside this box, you've got this moving apparatus, this thing that uh, let's say it's you're just taking a snapshot in one point in time, and and that point in time maybe is a 13.8 billion year mark, which is where I'm at right now. So let's say you take that physical physical snapshot of the Earth and everything that exists within the solar system and everything right at that point in space and time and you diminish, you scale the size to the point that it actually all fits within a 5x5x5 five by five by five box. So now you have this snapshot of point of space and time and everything. You have the capability to be able to drill down to a single planet, and let's say it's, it's Earth at this point, and investigate the Earth from various different perspectives and everything, you know, um, all from this single snapshot and everything. So now let's say you actually start clicking, uh, ticking that clock forward in space and time and everything. Now, here's the thing to consider. Um, just because you tick that clock forward, so basically you look at uh, one second, boom, you know, and two seconds, three seconds, four seconds. You know, um, a car, you might uh, actually be looking at the streets of Vancouver like I am right now, you know, and you see the car moving, you see windshield wipers going, you see um, an intersection with a stoplight and everything on it and everything. Um, all of this stuff is actually made possible by basically this motion, this uh, fourth dimension called time. That's actually how motion appears. So basically in a three-dimensional way, you can take a snapshot of something, you're basically getting the equivalent of a model. And that model in itself, um, in that fixed point in space and time and everything, um, can appear in one certain configuration, And uh, but that doesn't mean that configuration's immutable. It doesn't mean that that uh, configuration um, won't or will be the same the next. Generally speaking, for most things, at least terrestrially based, it is. You know, so 
um, but uh, from other perspectives and everything, and this is this is actually what I had to learn is just because you can take a snapshot of an entire universe of or an entire solar system at one point in space and time, doesn't necessarily mean everything functions at the same interval. Um, so you might you might take a snapshot of a fixed position in, in space, you know, of Earth, you know, and basically put put it on pause. And uh, just because you have you see that thing in a particular configuration at that particular point in space and time, doesn't mean that everything else does as well. And that's actually a tough lesson I had to learn, you know, about time itself and everything. And and that's actually kind of the reason I f I'm going through Star Trek Voyager again because the first two episodes it's already become kind of an interesting lesson in, in temporal mechanics you know it's just basically a different way of looking at space and time and everything you know so uh, time has a capability to be able to dilate to be able to go slower faster you know all this other stuff and everything and just because you see motion stopped for something at a single point in space and time does not mean that motion has stopped for everything in that point in space and time. You know, so, and that's just basically saying that underlying things is this quantum realm. You know, so from a physical perspective, we might be able to see, you know, um, that snapshot in space and time and everything, you know, but underlying that, underlying that, uh, that basically from a mental, a mind perspective are infinite different possibilities, all of which are like a roiling sea of possibilities that are still existing concurrently to that still photograph that actually happens. So, and that's, that's you know, for me, it's just like, that's actually what the Big Bang is. You know, the Big Bang itself isn't, um, isn't something that really has, has an end, per se. It just keeps going and going and going, like the Energizer Bunny. You know, sure, it reforms itself, and it does different things here and there, but in a general sense, you know, just because you can, you can take physical matter and actually stop it, and um, it doesn't mean that's true for all different variations. So, anyways, I'm back at home again and uh, got my wasabi, so I'll uh, continue this later.